I really don't wish I knew anything earlier because I feel like that's like a rushing mentality. Everything I've need to know has come to me at the right time. TTYA Talks, the podcast. Hello, 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 hello. Mic check, one, two, one, two. I'm very excited about today's talk, actually. And we're going get to into, get into the gist shortly. Um, for those of you who have been here before, so many familiar faces in the audience, thank you for coming back. For those of you who this is your first time, my name's Irene TTYA. I have a lifestyle brand called TTYA London. Under the umbrella of the lifestyle brand, we do TTYA Talks Live and TTYA Talks, the podcast, um, which basically aims to amplify um, women of colour who work within the creative industries. We like to hear their stories. We like to get into the gist. We like to, you know, answer some of the questions that we feel like sometimes people can uh, divert. So we really want to know how much are you getting paid, sis, or how much should I be invoicing for this? We want to talk the things. So a little bit about TTYA Talks. I started the podcast as a safe space to inspire, motivate, and allow you to listen to real, authentic career and lifestyle stories of women who are pioneering in the creative industries and sports. So our guest today is an author, YouTuber, lifestyle blogger, social influencer, (laughs) with features in Forbes, Vogue, and has been the cover of Glamour and Arcadia magazine. She's been able to break barriers across the board, digital, social, every all, anything there, you have broken it, and we love it. Um, Her hard work and Exceptional driven work ethos has led her to an overwhelming community, exceeding 4 million followers across her social media platforms. Guys, I need you to give a massive welcome to Patricia Bright. Thank you, Irene. Oh my gosh. Guys, we can do better than that. I know it's early. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. It's fine. You're too kind. That was a really good intro. Thank you. It's okay, babe. It's hard to think about all Um, those different things. So good morning, Patricia. Welcome to TTY Talks, the podcast live. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you. As with every guest that comes on, I always say, let's start at the beginning. Okay. Give us the culture. Give us the family life. Where did you grow up? School, education, roots and culture, I like to call this section. So give it to us. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So thanks for the intro. You guys may know I'm a YouTuber, online creator and stuff like that. Um, And taking it back isn't something that I talk about very much, but I always call myself like a South London girl for life. So I was born in Battersea, you know, I've lived in Battersea, lived in Brixton, lived in Streatham, and really I've always been south of the river. (laughs) And um, I mean, I'm of immigrant parents, so I grew up with that culture of being Nigerian and having a lot of family around me and extended family around me. And my parents were very strict, so like the focus was always education, 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 study hard, but really they didn't always have the tools to equip me. There was no like, you know, tutors or anything like that. It was just read your book and the book was placed in front of me, which is very much, I know, the case of so many people who come from immigrant backgrounds. And um, when it came to like schooling and stuff like that, it was these harsh South London streets and harsh South London schools that weren't amazing, but still had like great community and and good vibes. Um, And I, I moved from school to school because yeah, things weren't always great. I got excluded a lot. I got expelled a lot. I was a little bit rebellious. um, And yeah, but things changed a lot. But in terms of that kind of lifestyle, it's just that hustle and bustle of London, which is really what I kind of grew up in. I love that. I'm also a South London girl for Mm. life. Uh, I grew up in Clapham, Brixton. I'm still living in South East London. You have a certain energy. Yes, I feel like there's something, (laughs) and I've seen the memes about it, but like, there's this kind of like, I want to say aggression that we have. Like, I know we're just a bit harder than everybody else, but it's okay. It's like for the streets, but really about the streets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I feel like I, I agree with you in the sense of just like, you know, coming from West African heritage, what that means in terms of community, in terms of education, mm-hmm. but also like, you know, not having necessarily the the rule books written for us or having the cultural currency, I like to say, in front of you. There wasn't any rule books. A lot of us are first generation diaspora yeah. who our parents have moved here for want of a better life. So 
I want to get into a little bit about what that cross section for you for you was because, uh, interestingly enough, you know, like you mentioned, education is something for our parents was just like that was the way that you were going to be successful, right? They related anyway. education to success. Mm-hmm. So many of us have gone left to go right to now say, okay, I'm a creative, and your parents are like, sorry, what? Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Um, how was that transition for you, and how did you actually communicate that? Because I get asked a lot in like, how did I actually tell my mom I wanted to do fashion, or how did I actually like where did I get the confidence to be able to explain what I wanted to do not what they wanted me to do yeah I didn't have the confidence I didn't tell my parents so I like so I studied I you know got went to university I actually went to do international fashion marketing and I told my parents I've applied for a job in marketing I actually excluded the part that it was to do with fashion because I actually believed that they would have been like no way are you going to go and do fashion so I said oh it's a marketing course and the thing is is that my parents didn't help me with any of the like enrollment or clearing or whatever the stuff you have to do they're just like my daughter's going to university hooray they didn't look at any of the paperwork because they just weren't that equipped but funnily enough I ended up moving to accounting because I didn't actually like the fashion course and actually they had an accounting module and I was really good at accounting. So my parents were then able to be like, oh, my daughter's an accountant. And then I got into banking. And then, oh, my daughter's a banking a banker. And the only reason why I got into banking wasn't because my parents, they didn't know about the industry. But I had a friend who was like, they've got these really good jobs in banking. And I was like, what's banking? I didn't really know what that industry even meant. I didn't have awareness. And he told me like one of his friends has got a salary for 35K. I was like, 35K, oh my God. And so he ended up helping me in that application. But I had no framework for what like a career would actually look like. My parents just wanted me to go to university and get a job. But what job? They didn't know. And then obviously I now worked in the city. I had a high-flying career I wanted to, you know, I was in banking, so yeah, they can be proud, hands up in the air, everything. And then I was doing YouTube on the side, and then I quit that job. I did not tell my parents for a year that I quit my job. Okay. And I was, I'm bearing in mind, I'm an adult. I'm, you know, I'm 21, I'm or 21, 22. I'm a big person. I should be able to be like, these are my decisions. But just because I knew that that would scare them, I didn't tell them. But fundamentally, I think they are confident that if I make a decision and I work hard, the results, you know, you'll get the results, but still navigating that kind of, your parents won't understand or, you know, immigrant parents won't get it. Like you're, you're making videos on the internet. What for? Like, why are you doing that? So I, you know, kept it secret until I was able to be like, okay, here's the path for success for me. Oh, I love that. So currently you wear many hats. Yes. (laughs) And we're going to get into some of them in a little bit, but kind of tell us how that career journey really started for you and and how you chose the lane that you knew, okay, this is where I can see a gap and this is where I feel like I want to target and go. Yeah. I mean, I wish I was as strategic as that. I was, I started creating online as a form of outlet because I was actually quite lonely. I was actually quite bored. And back in the day, there was like Reddit a different version of Reddit. There used to be a forum called Long Hair Care Forum. And I would spend hours talking to girls about hair, skin, and nails. Like, we would be writing to each other and trying new products. So we were, like, obsessed. It was this underground community. And then eventually we started making videos for each other. And we were creating videos on YouTube. And then eventually other people would start seeing it. But there was no real strategic plan until I realized there was, like, uh, something <laughs> possible um, when it came came to actually creating something and creating a career because there was no framework for careers online. It was very very new the platform, um, but I could see something and I and I did some maths and I really decided like to make that kind of transition. Well, let's get into your YouTube channel because mm-hmm. I think yeah. now everybody kind of sees the highlights, the glory, the numbers are up. You know, you're yeah. a successful YouTuber. Let's sure. call it what it a spade a spade, yeah. but. I think I wanted to get a little bit more into the dedication and the work that actually gets into creating a successful YouTube channel. Like, yeah. like how do you split your day? How many days a week do you have to record? Like, what is the business behind the channel? Because that's the bit that I feel like people don't really see the dedication. They just see, oh, you've got millions of followers. A hundred percent, yeah. I mean, it was, what's crazy is that, so I worked my job while having a channel and um, I worked for six years while I'm navigating both channels. And I actually say that it took me 
me seven years to get to my first one million subscribers. And I was working on my channel every weekend, every evening. It's all I wanted to do. And I was just putting content out, putting content out. I was obsessed, but I was obsessed because I really loved what, it was just so much fun for me. And also for the first three and a half years, there was no monetization. There was no option for monetization, but I was building momentum because it was something that I was really interested in doing and building. Um, so for me, the key, the key thing when it comes to platforms, and I think it's very different now, because again, I was an early adopter. So the strategy now is not gonna apply. Like making videos, because it's fun and talking to your friends online, if you're trying to like build a business on the back of YouTube, it's what happened, what it took then is not the same. So for me, consistency is important. A and B testing, so seeing what actually works, what do people engage with, and then continuing to produce and create consistently and actually seeing where the, the, the trigger points are, where the interest happens, and then really rolling that out is the real, the real way now, I think, to grow. But I think there's even more opportunity now. Okay, let's expand on that why. Because I think now there's so many blueprints. There weren't any blueprints before. Like we were just, many of us were just creating. There are many people who have fallen by the wayside, don't create anymore. Lots of girls who I used to watch, they don't make anything anymore because they didn't know what the framework was. But now I've seen, you know, there's channels like Mr. Beast and other financial channels and other beauty channels. I can see what they do and I can put my own twist on it. And I can now, I even have more motivation because it's like I know what's, um, possible so there's a blueprint that people can follow now to kind of um, streamline their way to success I think that someone can get to a million in one year if they really wanted to but it took me seven so yeah so what's the biggest piece of advice that you would share with and well, what you've learned over the years on if anyone here today wanted to like start being like okay I'm leaving this talk now and I'm gonna start my YouTube channel I'm gonna do it I'm gonna be focused yeah <laughs> I mean so funny enough I actually applied a lot of my experience from working consulting and banking and like I think that the idea that you're just it's just going to happen is incorrect. So putting a strategy in place, even if it's like three bullet points, these are the three content strands I'm going to focus on. This is going to be my approach. I'm going to upload every single day for the next six months. I'm going to monitor analytics in this way, and I'm going to pivot if necessary, necessary based on this. So really being strategic about it, thoughtful about it, and then testing is really important. Testing, testing, one, two. Testing. And uh, to be honest, like, so now there's it's all of these new companies like Jelly Smash and um, these are like media-based companies who make content, now corporate-level content on a lot of these platforms. And if you understand the amount of psychology they think about when they're creating content to make sure people are addicted to content, to make people come back, if you apply just a tenth of that knowledge to your own personal platforms or personal brands, that would be super valuable. But nowadays, there's a lot of kind of science behind content creation as well. So who's in your team? Who helps you put all of this together? Who's on the back end? Because this is a lot of work for just one person. Yeah, to be honest, my team is very small. So in terms of content myself, um, it's just myself. I make my content. Um, I come up with my content ideas and I put out my content, but I do have editors. So I use like a, a number of remote editors who I'm really confident with their ability to create for me. And then I also have assistants and then I also have um, a manager. And then I, actually I've learned now for me personally is to find partners. So I work with a number of different stakeholders rather than trying to do everything in-house myself. And before I've had teams of like seven or eight and I was just like, oh, this is, this is too much. And actually, I was not able to continue to be the Patricia I needed to be because I had to actually be a manager. So I had to realize I don't actually want to manage. My gift and my skill is to create. So how do I outsource all of that? And that's something I had to learn, you know, over time. That's interesting because I think they always, sometimes when you hear about business, they're always like, oh, you know, to be a successful business, you have to have a really strong team. You have to have, but it's actually, you need to understand how to navigate a team and know each person's strong point and even your own strong point. Because yeah. like you I'm a bit like you, like I actually don't really like managing people. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like it is difficult to also 
um, put people in place that you feel like can also be a reflection of your brand or get your ideas. So yeah. it is about sometimes 90% of the job is finding the people <laughs> that you feel can execute your vision yeah. in the way. And one thing that I also had to be, um, had to just kind of, suppressed to is that no one is ever going to do it the way that you do it you just have to be okay with the yeah. 70 or the 75 you just have to be okay 80%, with that yeah 100 it here's what it is like so <laughs> in the past even i've been like at times when i had people who worked for me and they didn't do things exactly how i saw it or i wanted it to be and like i had this vision in my head but they didn't quite get it in the same way i wanted it and then you know maybe i let those those people go in hindsight with maturity I'm like actually that person was good at this 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 and that's a skill I actually needed but because it wasn't a hundred percent um I actually lost out so nowadays I'm much more open to the 75 and the 80 if it allows me to move forward I love that and even going back to you talking about having the different channels because obviously you have your main beauty you've kind of subdivided it now into categories and one of yeah. my favorite channels that you have is obviously the break because you know mm. I like about talking about business and, and properties <laughs> and monies and cash doilers um <laughs> I want to get a little bit into the property game because a lot of people probably see me now. I've got Casa TTYA. I've been talking openly about my journey. I bought my first property in the pandemic, which was a headache within itself, mm-hmm. but actually very rewarding because I felt like I learned so many lessons in that time where if we weren't in the pandemic, I wouldn't have had those 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 lessons, those hard lessons. Sure. Um, when did you first get into property? Um, and I want to get a little bit into the second part of that question will be like, how did you navigate being self-employed at that time? Because that's one of the things that I found difficult at the beginning was actually just producing the documentation and the back end. It took me ages to like work out the back end being self-employed. How was that for you? Yeah, I mean, I, maybe I can divide it up to like being a homeowner as an individual versus now actually being into property investing. So actually in terms of, you know, property as a business model, I got into that actually because of my mum who um, ended up buying a council home when they were trying to like sell off homes and she bought her first home and then she ended up renting that out and then she had a little bit of money and then she rented another one. She didn't really know what she was doing. She was putting friends and family in. And so I actually, then while I was at university, I really helped her with that process. And I thought I always hated property because I remember thinking this is so much aggro. I'm not interested in ever like navigating this world because it's just, it's quite intensive in that that you actually are a service you have to provide a service for people and then um but I think eventually you know once I got into like earning and having free cash I was like okay what could I do with that and so I moved into property but from a personal perspective I bought my first home when I was 26 um was it 26 25 or 26 and um I wasn't self-employed so I actually had my job I had a full-time job even though in the back of my mind I knew that I would have, was thinking about leaving at some point in time. So, uh, but I kept working because I knew that I needed that for my um, mortgage application. You need to show evidence of um, affordability. And so actually I ended up staying my career longer because I was a home owner, but I didn't have a clue about, um, you know, what it was to be a homeowner, what that took. But I was able to buy a house that was pretty affordable because I think it was at the end, just off the end of like the market, the last recession. Um, So yeah, I kind of got quite lucky. And I was able to purchase with my partner, my husband, who had bought his first house for like 70 grand. He bought a house in Manchester and then he sold it. And then that was how we kind of were able to pull our money together to put a deposit down. So... You speak a lot on the on the break about you know investing and money, cash doilers. What made you actually start that that subcategory on your platform? So for me, the reason I started talking about finances and money is I think fundamentally I work, I was I've got an accounting degree and I worked in banking for six six years, if not seven years. So there was always this side of me that kind of was 
one, it was interested in that. And then I'd also dealt with so many financial problems as a business owner. I had fines to pay from HMRC. I'd incorporated my company incorrectly. I didn't have the right paperwork. I had been duped by some other accountants who then were charging me thousands of fees. I was getting fines. And I realized as much as I thought I knew about money because I worked in banking, I actually didn't know about money from a everyday running perspective. Like my personal finance knowledge was rubbish and though I was making income I didn't actually know how to maximize that and not lose out in in just my silly mistakes so after I had like you know really got I my accounts are wonderful I'm very proud of my accounts like I love my financial statements it's great fun to me now but a lot of people would come up to me and be like oh explain this to me and so I was spending ages talking to other creators about this is how you should use your pension this is the contribution you should make this is how you can buy um, your own home via your business this is how you can do this I'm like you know what I'm gonna make a video on it so like one of my first three videos was actually about pensions which is a very boring non-sexy subject but for me I realized how much of a powerful tool it is that a lot of people aren't aware of so I just was like you know what I'm just gonna cover some of these fundamentals and then I got into investing and then I got into index funds and property and I'm like everybody needs to know this stuff because people aren't equipped so that's that's the story well I'd love to get a little bit more into like like you said about like the fines and HMRC like some of the lessons that you've learned because there might be some people in the room who are just starting their business there might be people in the room who have already started their business I think it's good that we touch about some of the mistakes and speak openly about Mm -hmm. the mistakes that we've made okay so I want to give some practical tips and advice. So number one, I was working a job and I had started making money. I was just putting that money into my bank account and I was just spending that money like it's mine. But you can't just get money and not pay the tax man. But for two or three years, I was just like, oh, this is a nice extra bonus. This is great. But eventually HMRC is going to say, run me my check. Where's the the 20%? So if you have spent all that money and you haven't accounted for it correctly, they're going to fine you. I had a fine that was um, at the value of £15,000, which at the time was a lot of money to me. I'm like, where am I going? And I didn't have the first £15,000 because I had spent it. So I had no way to pay HMRC that money that I actually owed them. But I actually ended up writing a letter and saying, you can do that. You can like request like, please, like, like, please help me. I was like, <laughs> I literally wrote a letter because they have like a accounts team. And I was like, I'm a new business. And I didn't understand how this worked. This is my situation. And they actually reduced my fine down to 2000 pounds. So I still had to give it to them, but they actually were helpful for me. But this was my first, what they call offense. So <laughs> like my first, the first tax evasion event. So, um, so they, they reduced that. And um, after the back of that, I, I, I never would record my expenses. I would never record my um, receipts. I never did any of that. And I wasn't using any platform. So when it came to, to producing my tax return, I was left flustered but then for instance there were platforms such as Zero and QuickBooks now Zero is amazing if you don't have Zero just use Zero um, where you can actually prepare your P&L your balance sheet your profit and loss the P&L same thing um, you can prepare these financial statements and actually get a running order of how your business is performing and then you know what you're going to be due in terms of taxes my mum is very big on reconciliation as a Nigerian reconciliation that is oh do you know one thing that I learned from my mum I used to think she was a bit of a hoarder but she's my mum is very 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 organised so every time a bill would come she has to fold my mum has a gazillion folders yeah so every month she would be like okay this your open her letters and she'll be like okay September she'll have a sleeve for September she'll have a sleeve for October she had a so I, that was one thing that I did Can't come relate. from her I've also got my mum's bad habit of spending whatever comes in and also goes Fine. out however um one thing that really helped me was the same thing of like okay statements and um documenting my expenses is every just do it as it comes in so when you have that lunch when you get back, put it in the sleeve straight away mm-hmm. because otherwise the receipt goes missing, you can't find it. Then you're now scrambling when the taxman comes out. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I spent this or I'm sure I went here and I'm sure I did that. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, one of the lessons I learned is just actually 
do it as you're going along yeah, rather than do, yeah. waiting to the end of the year and then now scratching mm. your head for receipts. Well, <laughs> nowadays with the technology, like mm. you can, pr- I don't save receipts. I don't mm. even print receipts because I do everything via my um, corporate accounting. So they have a reconciliation from my bank feed into my accounting feed. So it automatically populates my income, my expenses, um, and it will automatically allocate and say, for instance, they can see that I um, bought something at Nando right so they can be like that's a food expense yeah. but it's only a food expense if it was a meeting for mm-hmm. with people cool. which you know to discuss I, I can business. make a claim we, we, we had a meeting in Nando's it's fine um, to an extent to an extent you've got to be careful you can't like buy your own stuff uh, on your corporate account because HMRC will find you they will audit you and I actually pay extra fees to my accountants in case of an audit because I actually know in my industry they're actually looking for people who are slipping up Mm -hmm. so I'm very much on it well you spoke quite honestly about like having difficulties managing your property portfolio what advice would you maybe give to anybody who's thinking about getting into it might have one or two properties because obviously for me I was like this is what I wanted to ask Patricia because I was like I think with online I've seen you spoken so evidently about the beauty industry about being a YouTuber and I really wanted to kind of unpack now more on the property side and the difficulties because again it's about what people see is not necessarily what's happening behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, I actually want to take it back. So I think obviously people have talked about, like I've heard about me investing in property, but I also invest in the stock market. I also invest in other things. And I want to say property is sometimes told to us as the only form of investing. It's actually the most expensive and most illiquid, meaning you can't get cash from it very quickly when it comes to um, to actually generating revenue so there are other forms of investing that have lower barriers barriers to entry in terms of like index funds um buying individual stocks which i wouldn't advise doing it's pretty risky and there's other ways to really actually even invest in property um via the the market as well so you don't actually have to buy an individual house you can actually buy companies who build houses for 10 pounds or for 100 pounds but you're actually now having a piece of that pie so i think that one, a lot of people hear property as like this one only form of investing because the others seem a little bit more complicated. Um, but those are actually super easy to get into and easy to get into. So I wouldn't say to everybody jump into property. And also I would say that um, obviously over the last few years, pr- property looks like it is a gold mine. But as um, interest rates go up, as um, property prices fall, there is increased risk as well. However, in general, markets have gone up over the last 100 years. House prices have gone up, and so has the stock market. So um, if you have the resources to put yourself into property now, I'm like, great, get into it. It's one form of asset class. There are lots of different forms of asset classes. And the key thing you want to think about is affordability. And I think it's very important to kind of do the maths and consider if the interest rates go up to 10%, would you be able to afford a repayment? Because there's a high likelihood we will go to interest rates of 10%, and it's happened in the past, it can happen again. So I think we've been living in this really comfortable bubble of 1% interest rate. That bubble is about to burst. So again, I love a spreadsheet. Do the maths and see if you can afford that. So you've touched a little bit about index funds. Like, how did you actually start? Did you just do a lot of your research? Did you have people who are you spoken to? Because I speak a lot about actually people think that by networking, you need to network up. But sometimes it's actually your friends, your family, people who are around you that having those open conversations. So mm-hmm. a lot of my dinner parties at my house, my friends, I'm open about like, what have you guys been working on? What have you been investing in? What are you actually doing at the moment? Like networking doesn't always mean like looking up to people who are like doing better than you. It's actually sure. just looking at your peers, looking at friends and family yeah. and asking them, how did you get into index funds? Yeah, And I mean, how? where would you suggest that people look for if they're interested in starting out or looking in, in into getting into it as well where would you suggest yeah. they start um there's a lot of i learned everything online and via book so one of the books that i read was called um money masters masters the game or master the game it's by tony robbins and he spent his time 
talking to a number of institutional and financial investors. And at the time, it, it, all, it all meant nothing to me. It was like super, super gibberish to me. And he talked about Vanguard. I was like, what's Vanguard? And then I started to Google that. And I was like, oh, so Vanguard is like an institutional investor. They invest into the S&P. So I can actually buy a, a little piece of this thing. And that means I'm investing into the entire market. So reading and then watching a ton of YouTube videos and then Google was how I learned everything. Because even people around me didn't necessarily understand that as well. Because again, I think it feels like this black box. I also worked in investment. I worked in banking and I still didn't understand it. Like I didn't actually understand it from a personal perspective because it seems so complicated, but it wasn't. So reading and online is a great way to kind of get into that knowledge. Oh, I love that. I'm going to ask you to morph back into baby Patricia or Patricia in her 20s, when before you kind of really now know what you know now, Yay. maybe one or two tips or things you wished you knew earlier. And I'm going to be really honest. I really don't wish I knew anything earlier because I feel like like that's like a rushing mentality. Like I feel like everything I've need to know has come to me at the right time. There's certain things that I thought I wanted then. I was not even prepared for. I wasn't even ready for it. So I think like I now know things um, that I'm ready for. And maybe earlier, I would have just said, okay, continue to be confident, continue to be unapologetic. Like, I don't have no regrets. Like, mm, yeah, sorry. That's a cute one, babes. Um, we've obviously just come out of a pandemia. How was the pandemic for you? Oh. I asked all my guests this now after, after the How? pandemic because some people really hated it and others like me really loved it. It was, it was pretty hard. I was all right because I had actually had a new baby. So my baby was born in December and the lockdown happened from, I think it was like March, mm -hmm. April. So like I had a, a young baby and she wasn't that well. So I was just like kind of in like automatic mode. Like I just need to be at home. I just need to be with my baby and my family. We couldn't go anywhere. So it actually felt quite relaxing mm -hmm. um, to like be there. And then I, I buckled down and I ended up creating and like really putting out banging out content on the break because it's just like well it's something to do so I liked the ha the opportunity to, I had for focus mm. and also to be at home well you've just touched upon having a having another child but just before pandemic and I want to get into a little bit about mom life versus work life mm -hmm. um how do you achieve a good balance um I think that I've <laughs> is struggled, there such a thing <laughs> I, I've, I've struggled with balance I don't think balance is really a real thing. I don't, I think especially with children, you cannot control when it, like my daughter came into bed at two o'clock this morning and was doing the most and I'm tired. Like the, the balance, there's not real balance there. Um, I think it's, for me, it's about learning that I can't do it all. And I've accepted that. Like, you know what? I'm not doing that today. I'm not, I can't, I can't do it. I can't be everywhere at all times and I need to be able to have my own personal time. So trying not to balance it all is the thing that I try and do and scheduling like a main. Obviously you touched upon earlier a little bit about how like, you know, YouTube's changed now. It's not the same about when you started out, like, you know, people have blueprints, there's things. To but I still feel that there's an element of authenticity that still makes you you and that's why people subscribe yeah. to you. What would you maybe like to see culturally, financially happen in the long term with the digital platforms? Because sometimes I feel like things are not balanced, man. The time that you've really, really got to put in, I guess you, you, you do make money from it. But yeah. in terms of like long term longevity, is there anything culturally maybe that you would like to see potentially change? Because you've been in it for a long time, babe. You've, 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 like you said, you were on the platform before you could even start to monetize from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so maybe this is a bit you know, weird, but I'm just like, it is what it is. It's, like, mm. I don't rely or trust any platform to cater to my needs. Mm. They, like, nobody cares. Like, all they care about is, like, the dollar, like, themselves. So fundamentally, I think I want individuals to feel empowered and then also educated to utilize these platforms and use them to their own benefit because fundamentally they're using us so we have to learn how to reverse it and not just be consumers but also as individuals learn how to create more mm -hmm. so I, I find it difficult to ask the platforms to do something for me because really they only answer to their shareholders that's all that's that matters to them mm -hmm. so they think about if you can help their bottom line, they'll help you. Mm. If you can't, they're not interested. Don't cry, don't beg, mm -hmm. basically. We hear that. Um, I want to touch a little bit on kind of socials now, 
again, technically being a social media influencer, pricing, because one thing I get asked a lot is, how much did you know you should have got paid for that campaign? Yeah. Or how much did you, how did you price yourself? Is there any tips that you would share? Obviously, you again, been in the game for a hot minute. Yeah. You've seen the way that things have evolved over time. These new babes be really making cash doil. Think that they're making cash doila. assume. You yeah, can assume. assume. They think they're, because yeah. sometimes people, and I'm very open about money. People ask me, what did that brand pay you i'm actually quite honest about it because you find that either you've been cheated or they're cheating that person so i think transparency is always invaluable when it comes to working with brands have you navigated that it's been a really hard journey to navigate that um so people have accidentally shared numbers with me and then that's giving me, you know, insight. I've asked people, but people are still very cagey. But for instance, like I give the example of like my first two like financial breakthroughs and was approached by a brand, New Look, and uh, the producer wanted me to do some shoot with them. And she was like, oh, we don't have a big budget. And she was like, and she used quite elusive numbers. She said, oh, we have two. And this again, this was like six years ago or no, that was more like nine years ago. And I was like, I was like, oh, 200. That's, that's, you know, nice, right? I was like, oh, that's a cute little bonus on the side of my job. And I was like, but I said, let me be smart. Let me negotiate a little bit more. And I said, three would be more ideal. And then she was like, okay, we can move to three. I thought it was 300 and it was actually 3000. So that was an accidental way that I found out, oh, what was possible um, from a financial perspective. And then I remember... Having, I've literally talked about this in my book. There was a, another female creator. Um, she's also, she's white as well. So, and she was much bigger than me. And I remember her, we were having a chat and she was talking about another influencer. She was talking about a, a big creator who was like in the, what they call the Brit pack. And me, we weren't in the same level of, you know, engagement. We were not the crew. And I remember her saying, oh, someone was going to say her name. She's, she's, she's making about 100K a month at that my eyes rolled into the back of my head. I was like, huh, 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 huh? I was making probably like a thousand pounds, maybe up to a thousand and a half. And then, and I was like, a hundred grand. I was like, there's no way. She said, will I make 40K a month? I was like, something was wrong. And that in an instant changed my framework of what was possible. I was like, these girls are making 40 grand and 100K a month and I'm making 1,000. And I made, I made this like moment in my head. I was like, I can at least do half. Mm-hmm. And within about two months, I did half. And then later after that, I was able to kind of meet what she made and more so mm-hmm. because again, I had a new benchmark. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to try and find what those benchmarks are, um, but you're not always going to get them. And I think it's great if you can get brands to show their hand first, but a lot of them don't want to do that. I'll be real. 100% they don't want to do that. And I think it is important to don't be afraid to ask as well. True. You have to ask because if you don't ask, you don't get. It's Mm. literally that simple. And wherever they come in at, in their mind, they're for, let's see the least that we can spend. True. So there's always room for a little, there's always, it might be a little wiggle room. Sometimes they might be rude and it's a big wiggle room. Sometimes you have to just quote mad as well. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I quote mad. I'm like, listen, I need see where we three land. million for this deal. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, that's what, okay, what is your budget? Get, let me know what your budget is. And another thing you can do is people don't want to tell you stuff. You can look at people's financial statements. Like, these are, it's online. Like, find out, like, what was that person? What company's house? Yeah. It? Company's house. It, that's my evening reading. Company's house. And <laughs> reports like that's how you find the answers anyway we love that hmm. i want to get into just to close i want to do some fire questions before i open it out to the audience so before we get there guys take some time to think about what you want to ask here um but some quick fire questions yeah favorite city in the world because i see you be doing up maldives and things you're right <laughs> yeah i love a good Maldives. i wasn't even going to say maldives you know favorite I'm- city in the world I really like Barcelona. Like I know it's random and close, but it's just, I've had such good times there. So Barcelona's fab. Favorite food to eat? Rice. What kind of rice? Just that rice. Bush girl. Rice. <laughs> like, rice every day, isn't it? <laughs> if there isn't a side of rice, like is this a meal? Like what, what's going on? What do you do to relax in your spare time? 
Um, probably I just watch a lot of shows. Yeah. What's and, your favorite show you're watching at the moment? Um, well, I'm watching House of the Dragon. Oh, uh, that's my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so loved it. Anything sci-fi, fantasy, historical, all in one. Oh my god, it's a move. Yeah. <laughs> Great. When do you feel the most comfortable in your own skin? Um. Sunday mornings, chilling out, <laughs> just casual at home, yeah. We love that. And what are some of your favourite spots in London? I was actually saying this yeah, before. I went to Inca last night. <laughs> I was like, this is great. It's like a restaurant turned rave, turned dry rating, Brazilian dancing and great food. So I would recommend Here people to go there. That. And what's next for you, P? You're doing so much. There's just stuff. What can it. you tell us? Uh, stuff in the pipeline like <laughs> and uh, nothing specific other than like there are ideas and things I want to execute and I'm working on executing them um, right now but nothing I can really delve into just yet I love that so we're gonna open it up to the floor um if you do you want to come up hi hi it's lovely to meet you you too so you look gorgeous thank <laughs> you i love your story and everything and thank i love neighboring grace so i like little superstars oh, thank you um so my question is basically on consistency sorry my name's amory by the way um and essentially when it comes to creating sometimes i feel like i can fall off i don't know if anyone else is like this but you kind of consistent for a week a month and then after that you're just like can't really be bothered to do it. Yeah. Um, but then I don't know whether it's like, maybe I just don't want to do it and maybe I should pivot or is it that like, I'm just need to do something. So anything you can say on that. Yeah, um, the consistency thing is probably one of my own difficulties as well. And I think that people often feel this sense of guilt, like oh, I'm not doing enough or I haven't created or I haven't done this. It's really hard to be consistent um, on platforms because there's so many and you have to spread yourself quite emotionally thin. But I think that what I've seen, like the people who are able to keep going they kind of create a system in terms of they just see it as a job they allocate time they write their ideas down and they don't wait for motivation to strike they're just doing their list they're like hi guys welcome to my channel blah 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 and they just get into it and I speak to the guys at financial diet and what she told me is that she spends one week where she lets you book somewhere and she films every day for 10 hours and then she doesn't film or create any content for another three weeks and then she comes back and then she spends a week creating. So formulating a system that means that creating has got, is like there's less friction to creating and you just create a system instead, like one day a week, this is my content day. And then, so you're not having to try and do it every day. But like we don't always have motivation. We have to be able to like move beyond motivation. Yeah, no worries. Stockpiling content. That's what it is, listen. Do you want to come up? Hi, hello, Hiya. lovely to meet you. you guys look lovely. Um, my name is Oyen, and my question is, where do you draw the line between creating content and living your life? Because I find that oftentimes with content creators, you're constantly on the go, you're constantly working. A simple lunch can become work. Mm -hmm. Where do you draw the line, and how do you separate your personal life from your work life? I think it's about choices. Like, I think... I know um, people who make content, again, about finance or productivity. That's what their content's about. It's not about their life. So there's, if you choose to make your content about your life, then it's going to encroach into it. So I think, again, when it comes to picking your niches or picking what you want to create, you have to think about what's going to be sustainable, which is even why I pivoted to like the financial content. It, all I'm required to do is really read, learn, and explain that in a way that's valuable um, for people, and I enjoy it. And, you know, the lines can be blurred, but I think it's up to people to really work out what their line in the sand is about what they want to put out there. And you don't have to show everything. Like, I think we're deluded in thinking that's the only form of content, and it's not. There's people who make content, and I know nothing about them. That's fine. Yeah. Hey, Irene, Patricia. Yeah. Um, this is already a problem because... You made us come up here. And the question is about being an introvert, but also... Yeah. <laughs> Girl, you're doing a great job. Yeah. Being an introvert, but having the ability to make content, yeah. how do you navigate that and actually getting it out there and putting aside that that confidence kind of introverted side? That of is so... That's such a good question. That's a good I question. love that. What's so crazy to me is that the beginning world of people on YouTube 
were basically outcasts and individuals who will have high levels of anxiety. Most of the online creators are extremely anxious in real life. Like most of them that I've met um, are, you know, maybe more like that and introverted. But when you're creating, you're actually just creating by yourself. Like there's no one else in the room. There's no one watching you. So, uh, and I've also found that introverts usually are very creative and they, they, maybe they don't like groups of people. But if you're by yourself, um, you can make what you need to make. The fear obviously arrives when you're like, I need to put this out. The world is going to see me. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you just got to feel the fear and do it anyway. And every single time I post, I'm like, they're going to hate this. I hate this. Why am I talking like that? Oh my gosh, this makes no sense. This is rubbish. This is crap. Put it out anyway. You have to like learn to like break through that barrier. And obviously now there's a lot more people watching. And when I started, there wasn't anyone watching. Like the one view I had was me watching my own video. Um, so try and think like, no one's going to see this. And actually the people who do see it are going to be the right people who see it. So you'll create your own tribe. You'll be fine. Yeah. Love that. Going back to your point of like being an introvert and doing things out of fear and whatnot. This is one of those things that I do. Like if I feel scared, I'm going to do it. So um, fear is even a good a good sign. Literally. If you're scared of it, oh, that's the thing you have to do. Yeah, literally. I agree. So I know what I'm like. So I had to write this down. So I'm into like sustainability, fashion, and all of that. Given Khloe Kardashian and the Boohoo c collaboration, how do you feel about influencers taking on and being the faces of like serious topics like climate change and sustainability? How do I feel about it? It is what it is. And corporations are going to do what corporations are going to do. Like, fundamentally, they could pick Boohoo if they wanted to. They could pick an unknown voice and face. But they're not going to get the coverage they need and want. And Boohoo don't really care about sustainability. It's a facade. It's like... It's like I hope no one from Boohoo's here, but like fundamentally their, their main goal is profitability and this is just one bandwagon for them to jump on. So Chloe Kardashian's going to get attention. She's going to, Chloe? Is it Chloe? Courtney. Courtney. Yeah, Courtney's going to get attention. She's going to get eyes. She's going to get coverage. So they're going to get the results that they want and fundamentally like, that's what they do. So I think as individuals, <sighs> we can continue to amplify what we're passionate about and if we get big we get big and if we don't well at least we feel good about what we're doing um but i don't expect much from companies <laughs> yeah, i know that sounds really cynical but the less i look at them <laughs> the better i feel or it's collectively people can you know make noise and lobby and be angry and that may cause them to change what they're doing because actually it's important and people can choose not to spend with those companies as well and you can make those messages known so that actually collectively people stop spending with companies who aren't doing the right thing so yeah yeah I agree and I think there's definitely a level of authenticity towards it as well like and I think we live in an age where we it's, it's quite transparent when things are authentically done and when things are not so the bottom line is if you don't align with the values of that company if you don't align with the values of what they're putting out like P said just don't spend your money there and unfortunately that's People forget that that's where the power is. If yeah. you don't spend your coins. <laughs> and to be honest, I have a feeling, well, actually, I even know, like companies like Boohoo, PLT, like their bottom line is dropping because actually the next generation is actually more aware and they don't want to buy from these brands. So they're going to, they will get phased out. So what you need to do or individuals need to do are provide alternative options for people who actually want to purchase. So it's up to the creators and individuals to actually make stuff. And if, what ends up happening is a lot of these corporate firms end up investing in new starter companies that actually align with the messages that people want. So you may have to take money from Boohoo to create your sustainable brand, but at least you're able to kind of, you know, Galvanize get the your community. you want. Yeah, exactly. Any more for any more? Um, I have a question about imposter syndrome. So I feel like for me personally, like since the pandemic, I've been finding it hard to get out of my head and get back to like the person I used to be. And also like I have a similar background to you in terms of working in finance, then moving to the creative mm -hmm. world. And I'm like, ah, like, can I really do this? Mm -hmm. If some of you have talent, but I'm like, oh, I don't believe it. So like, how mm -hmm. do you guys overcome like imposter syndrome when you have this sort of like, yeah, in this industry, I guess, mm -hmm. yeah. Interesting that you said trying to get back to who I used to be. Yeah. I think that, 
like it's important to try and not look backwards and think about actually who is it that you want to be like where is it that you want to go to and focus on that as that your new form of identity because we can't be that same girl at the at the, uh, at the pandemic like I'm not that same person and I don't think and feel the same way so who is future me trying to be and in relation to like imposter syndrome Again, most people feel this, but the only way to kind of break through that barrier is by taking action. Like you have to just do stuff, even if it feels uncomfortable. And again, one of the lines I've lived by in one of the books that I've, I read over and over is feel the fear and do it anyway. And even as the young lady mentioned, like if it feels uncomfortable, if it feels fearful, probably that means you should lean into it because you're going to be able to overcome that feeling and you just have to do what you need to do. And also like, if you're skilled and you're talented and people are telling you that you're talented, why choose to believe the weird false lie in your head when other people are telling you you're good? So you have to take on board those truths and ignore those because our brains are actually formed in a way that make us sense danger. Anyway, this is some therapy stuff that I've been doing, books that I've been reading about the mind. Chimp Paradox is a really good book if you guys you know, want recommendations. So you have to kind of you know, offset that and therapy as well <laughs> maybe that might help yeah here here we love therapy <laughs> and brain training like this is something i've had to really work on like understanding how the mind works from like a scientific perspective because this is normal like people all these fears we all have these weird fears and they're actually not based in reality like how do we like train our minds to stop thinking this way and just take action into where we want to go to but anyway sorry <laughs> any more can do one more. Um, I just wanted to ask a question about property because yes. I'm getting ready to buy my first property. I was inspired by my friend who's here today who's just bought her first property. <laughs> so, yes. yes, I love it. I love it. I love yeah. it. But I just wanted to ask, do you feel like in the next year it would be a good time to buy? Because you know, you're just talking about like inflation and all of that stuff. So should I wait and just save or just get straight in? No. I, I don't think it, uh, there's you have to think about the long term we cannot predict what's going to happen next um interest rates might go up what, do the maths would you be afford it be able to afford the property if it was at seven percent right you can actually do that maths like on an excel spreadsheet now like an interest rate calculator and like oh are the houses going to go down in value are you going to be in negative equity all of this stuff only matters if you're trying to sell in the long um sell in the short term but in the long term getting your foot on the property ladder now if you've got the resources now if the the banks are going to give you a loan now get just do it and just ride out the storm because this is normal this happens so if you if you got that chance do it and there's no other feeling than when you go to collect your keys at the estate yes. agent. Yeah, it's a great if you one. could bottle that feeling and take it with you it's forever, great. it's, it's a great feeling. It's a fabulous feeling. And on that note, I'd like to say thank you to Patricia. I always say like, I don't feel like you're an influencer to me. I feel like you're a woman of influence and I feel like there's definitely a difference. And I think it's important that we note that there are women who, yes, influence change, influence shape-shifted, influence culture. So I don't know if that makes you an influence. I feel like it makes you a woman of influence. Oh, and I, I think it's important that we give you your flowers. I feel like there's you have charged it to the game for a long time and you deserve all your flowers. So thank you thank for being you. here. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you for your time. Thank we you. appreciate you. We love you. And if anybody who is not following or going to be listening back to this, platforms um, we have at Patricia Bright. Instagram, Give YouTube. it to them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the worst self-promoter. I'm, on, I'm the Patricia Bright on Instagram. I'm kind of still on YouTube. And yeah, I'm just around like... Yeah. So thank you everybody for coming. This is TTOA Talks. I'm Irene Agbontine. And give it up for Patricia Bright, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, please spread the word. Rate, review, subscribe, all of that good stuff. For any questions, please also feel free to send me a signal on Instagram or Twitter on the handles at IreneTTYA or at TTYA Talks. <laughs>